Hey, what's up everyone? I'm Chelsea. Welcome to the Enneagram of Essence. This podcast is about reminding us of what is good about us deep down in our core. Our essence is something pure, beautiful, and powerful that can never be taken from us and never tainted, no matter what we've been through. It is our true self beneath all the layers of defenses, stories, and neurotic habits that we call our personality. Unfortunately, the Enneagram is often used in a way that reinforces our bad habits. It can become one more way to identify with our ego. But the most important thing I've learned from my Enneagram teachers is that our Enneagram type is actually not who we are. It's what keeps us from being who we are. It is possible to embark upon the epic journey from our ego to our essence. And there are two main tools that bring us there. One is the cultivation of presence, which means we must be in contact with ourselves in the living moment, the unfolding now, by having the courage to connect to our bodies, hearts, and minds. The second tool is to have spiritual disciplines or practices that help us return to this presence again and again. And there are myriad ways of doing this, as my guests on this show demonstrate through their stories about their own epic journeys back home to essence. Thank you so much for joining us today. pleasure of speaking with Andrea Sorum, an Enneagram Type 4. Andrea is a multi-instrument musician and vocalist, an award-winning songwriter, song leader, group facilitator, and spiritual seeker. She blogs, writes songs, and offers music and singing to inspire and create a culture of belonging within communities, organizations, and families. Andrea holds a Master of Arts in Music Education and also offers individual piano lessons on Zoom to students of all ages. She is the mother of two wonderful boys and recently welcomed in a new member to the family, a rambunctious puppy named Luna. For more on Andrea's work, blog, and to hear her songs, visit her website at andreasorum.us. My guest and I are going to start by doing a guided centering meditation together. And all you out there in the audience are invited to please join along with us so that we can all be present as fully as possible for this conversation. All right. So hi, Andrea. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Good to be with you. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start today uh, just with a little centering and um, yeah, just really taking a moment to get present. So I'll guide us through that for a couple minutes. So if you want to close your eyes, you can or leave them open. Either way is fine and just settle in to your body. Taking a few deeper breaths. And connecting with the sensations of the body here and now. Noticing any tension or numbness. Any kind of energy that's there. And just allowing it to be just as it is. Perhaps noticing the temperature of the air on on the skin and any points of contact between the body and 
the chair or the floor. Bringing the awareness inside the body. So we're experiencing ourselves from the inside out. You might begin to notice the sensitivity of the heart, the heart coming out of hiding, opening and expanding. Noticing that it's possible to experience the heart as a vast ocean, deep and wide. And in this stillness of the heart, there are many emotions that pass through, but heart is big enough to hold it all. And as we continue to breathe and maintain connection with the body and the heart, you might begin to notice the mind settling down. And an expansive quality can also be cultivated here in the mind. Noticing that there is stillness and quiet between the thoughts, no matter how wild or active the mind is in this moment. There's space behind the thoughts and between the thoughts. And we'll take a couple more breaths here, just re-grounding through feeling our feet on the floor, supported by the earth beneath us. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and we'll return to our conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Chelsea. So I want to start us today with just a description, as best I can, of the essence qualities of type four. And this, I like to start here because Oftentimes in Enneagram conversations, we get really caught up in all the neurotic pieces of what it means to be our type. Oh, yeah. Underneath that, there is something deeper and, and truly beautiful. So we'll start there. So the, the words that get used to describe the essence of type four are depth, beauty, and true identity. So these are qualities that kind of shine forth when we are in presence. So if I'm a four and I'm present, there's this sense of connection to the depths of myself. There's like a, a true intimacy with, with myself. And, and it's like this, this real self instead of the, the image of myself <laughs> or my ideas and stories about myself. And in that space of connection, everything becomes beautiful. And so it's, you know, so often fours are, you know, have this unique talent of bringing beauty into the world and have a lot of creativity. But here in the space of presence, the beauty that fours are looking for is everywhere. <laughs> Even in the mundane and ordinary things and moments, and there's a realization that beauty doesn't need to 
be created, but it's something that can just be noticed and, and tapped into. And there's also um, a sense of uniqueness and specialness that arises out of this presence too, that the specialness that I've been seeking <laughs> is, is here right now, and it can only be found right now in this moment, and that every moment is truly unique because it won't ever happen again. And so there's a connection there, um, but it, it ironically, you know, fours are heart types. And so oftentimes fours will try to get there just through the heart, but ironically, the body needs to be um, contacted as well, like this sense of embodiment and, and feeling sensations and feeling emotions as sensation is what mm -hmm. brings us into this aliveness and connection with, with the depth and the beauty and, and true me. Mm -hmm. So of course, at some point, there's a perceived loss of that presence and contact with the essence and then the personality kicks in and tries to mimic all of that and recreate it and you know for fours this happens by trying to create beauty through my tastes and preferences and trying to force intimacy by talking about my problems and curating my moods and trying to keep moods going so that it feels like I'm deep and and kind of concocting a a self-image trying to get back to to that true self but but doing it through stories and narratives and and like a, creating a fantasy self mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course all of that creates stress <laughs> but it's it's an innocent attempt to get back to to our essence to our true self so i want to pause there and just check in with you and see you know um, how that affected you or what stood out to you or anything you want to say about your essence mm. yeah it's really fun to hear you talk about it um and it's almost like uh you were inside my head kind of writing my autobiography for me um <laughs> uh, i I have experienced that beauty everywhere and the specialness that I seek is very present right now in my life. And I think it's always been this elusive pursuit and to feel like I have it or I don't have to try so hard has been a huge relief. So to hear you articulate that as my true essence as to, to create and search for beauty. It kind of explains a lot. <laughs> and I, and I even notice, um, when you talk about the loss of essence, um, when we have weeks like this one where there are traumatic events, I lose that inner dialogue that is really present, really tuned in with myself, I become, um, I don't want to say like I fall back on bad behaviors, but it's, it's just really hard to close this loop. And it is like, I think pretty normal for anyone when trauma enters the picture to just not have a grasp of your own identity or your own essence and just be caught up in thoughts. And, um, or distract yourself too. Like, um, I can get a little bit <laughs> neurotic, like <laughs> when I talk to people, I, and I, it's really awkward. It's really <laughs> awkward. But I'm definitely trying to, you know, paint a personality or make some jokes that make me feel more normal when inside I'm not normal. I'm just trying to get there. So a lot of that made sense, what you said. So I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about, um, you know, what it was like for you to be a four before you had really developed the self-awareness that you have now, uh, you know, what, like when your personality was kind of 
just running the show and on autopilot and doing its thing. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that it was like causing stress for you or, or people around you, do you think, when you look back? Yeah, I think um, I regret how I've hurt people when in the moment I thought I was being hurt. I thought I was not being seen. And um, I think what's really demanding of like a reckoning <laughs> and 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 that might not just be Enneagram, but it was like I I wanted to resolve the conflict so immediately while I was in a very intense place. Mm. And the other person either didn't want to then or didn't want to. <laughs> and um and I became so hurt by that that rather than re-engage, I just burned the bridge down. Mm. <laughs> just, um, yeah. I got so upset, and I think I think there are some relationships that probably didn't need to end. But I just, you know, we were maybe going our own ways anyway. But I just like. <laughs> See ya, you know, like being a really dramatic end to it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But going back further, I think for sure in high school, um, and there's a lot at play there with hormones and everything, but I, I was definitely controlled by my feelings and they dictated um, if I could get to school, if I could do my homework, if I could um, just be present to the world as it was, it, it was all dependent on how I was feeling inside. If I didn't feel like coming down to dinner, then it was everyone's fault. And <laughs> I don't think I was easy to live with. And But the other side of that, um, there was a purity to it as well. Um, I was pursuing music and writing music without really a an idea that I was going to be a singer songwriter and perform and, you know, I'd be famous or something. Um, it was, it was a very in the moment, this is how I want to express myself and this feels good. And it really helped my mood. I played a lot of Chopin too. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so there was a purity to it when I was younger. And then as I got older, it was like, because I'm a singer songwriter, I will write a song now, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So getting kind of attached to that piece of your identity came with. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's something I intentionally stepped away from three years ago because I missed that innocence of writing a song for its own sake, for art's sake. For my own expression and that's been really good to connect with again so what had it turned into was it did it feel like just too much performance or too much pressure or what did you need to step back from well there were lots of elements of performing that are challenging including the logistics of setting up shows and promoting shows. Um, and I was weary of it. <laughs> but then there were other things too I was noticing in my personal life. I was not seeing friends very often outside of my shows. So I, I saw people who came to my shows, but I didn't really get to go to their backyard and hang out. Um, I didn't really get that. We're just hanging out time. It was always like self-serving. <laughs> and I didn't like that when I was contacting people, it was to invite them to shows and without that real relationship there. And so I wanted to both rein in my energy as far as all the work that goes into promoting and planning shows and performing and maybe redirect it in other ways towards relationships that I really value, that I felt like I was getting distant from. And, and the art of it, I kind of wanted to reclaim 
that um, innocence, like I said, just to create for the sake of it and um, just for myself and see what would come instead of there's there's also like this audience that was in every writing session I was thinking about how will this be seen how will this be heard um, how will I be seen and perceived when I'm seeing this and so there's this audience present and I just wanted it to be me and the guitar for a while yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. that's been really really good that's beautiful. And your lately, your music has really evolved into something mm -hmm. really different. Could, yeah. you, could you talk about what that has been like, that evolution and what like what's opening up for you now musically? Yeah, I am writing community singing songs for community song circles. Um, for progressive congregations, anywhere friends are gathered who wanna to sing together. I'm writing for our time that we're in. I feel like there's a lot of um, ideas and feelings that need expressing and somehow singing those things is a way of transmuting um, those longings, that grief, even our joy into something that we can share and it makes it makes everything feel easier and i got into community singing five years ago in 2016 i went to village fire my cousin invited me and she's like there's this camp where you camp and sing all day and i was like okay <laughs> sounds cool <laughs> i'll come <laughs> and um it at first was overwhelming because everyone was very um very welcoming and positive and i could tell there was a culture there that i had never been a part of before and and then also really uncomfortable because i wasn't comfortable in my own skin i was wearing um something awkward. It was just like a typical Andrea outfit of thrifted, you know, athletic wear <laughs> with some like blue jeans or something. And anyway, I was noticing that everyone there was wearing kind of more flowing clothing. And um, the, a lot of the women weren't wearing bras and no one was wearing makeup. It, it was just a very different the the beauty of the place and the beauty of the music was the aesthetic that I really picked up on. And I learned to not care what I looked like. Uh, <laughs> like I have my awkward clothes and it's fine. Um, nobody cares. So I, I guess that's a really long introduction to just say this was a life changing event and um, by the end of it, I was totally immersed, totally felt like I belonged and, and came back wanting to do more, just keep it going in the Twin Cities. And the reason I, I actually got the job at United Seminary was because I had been doing all the song leading and I knew a lot of these songs, which is exactly the kind of music that an inter-spiritual community was longing to hear. And so it was speaking to all these different students with all these different backgrounds, but similar longing, similar expressions of holy and divine and um, creating a culture of belonging and belovedness. So I feel like, you know, getting into community singing got me connected with that community. And I was on the way home from Village Fire when I started writing songs for Village Fire. And in fact, I wrote one there, I think, and I shared it. And the next year I came back and it had traveled all over the country. And people said, you're Andrea Sorum? Oh, we sang your song in Hawaii at the... <laughs> oh, and it wasn't, it was just so fun to think about those songs traveling to places I hadn't been and being sung by people I didn't know. It was, it was, way cooler than hearing my song on the radio wow. <laughs> that was like a real i just felt so grateful that that song traveled so that's a community i've gone back to and um it's grown 
there are lots of song circles all over the country and I'm connected to a lot of those song leaders and, you know, it continues over Zoom and. Um, That's beautiful. It has been. So I want to ask you, because the word belonging has come up several times in this mm -hmm. story you're telling and that word is um, really crucial in the journey for fours because for fours as young children, somewhere along the line, they got the message that I don't belong mm -hmm. or I'm different. I'm separate from all these people and I'm like never gonna fit in. And so I'm curious in this village fire experience, what do you think it was either about the environment or the people that made you feel like you belonged and what had to happen inside of you to allow that to happen? Mm. Well, I'll just back up a little bit and say, yes, I can relate to that um, childhood experience. I moved a lot as a kid and my parents were pastors. So everywhere we moved, I was the pastor's kid and I felt awkward. Um, in these little towns where everyone knew I was the pastor's kid. And I just felt, I just felt like I, I was different at village fire. It was just a, it was, it was just a very consistent message of you're invited, you're welcome and physical affection to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, people that I just met, you know, would put their arms around me when we were singing together. And I was there with my boyfriend at the time, Deepu and and we were both on this journey together because we were both coming from very different backgrounds. And Deepu is from Bangladesh, where there's, you know, very little physical affection. Um, uh, and it was really beautiful to. I woke up one morning, and and Deepu was in this um, morning song circle, and he wasn't just in it; he was like in the middle of it, like with his hands in the air, and. I think I was so inspired. I was like, Tifo, you're doing it. <laughs> you're getting into it. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it too. You know, it was sort of like taking my clothes off. I'm going to do the plunge. And it felt great. And, um, you know, maybe some people would look at that and think she drank the Kool-Aid. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I love the Kool-Aid. It's, it's being family to each other and... There's also a really profound experience with a, a grief circle that happened there. And I was able to talk about in a couple of experiences of grief, including my divorce. And so I was, I was really listened to really heard and validated. And when I shared music too, it was affirmed like, um, at the campfire, um, I shared a song I had written before Village Fire. I remember singing this lullaby that I'd written for Wesley and the response was so overwhelming to me. It's like, drop the mic, drop the mic. You know, they just have this imaginary mic they wanted me to drop in the fire. <laughs> um, so I'll never forget that. It, um, it opened my heart and made my heart expand in a new way. I really should tell Liz that she was the organizer. I should tell her that. There's, um, there's something coming up for me around the way that you write your songs or the content of your songs, the way you describe them, that, that feels like you're expressing something very personal mm -hmm. and yet it is received by other people as universal. Like it's, it's, there's this bridge between the personal and the universal in your music. And I think that is a, a specific just gift that fours in general can bring through their, just like whatever kind of art or expression that fours bring, or even just the way fours talk is generally kind of poetic. <laughs> um, and there is something about that expression that helps the rest of us connect in with that deeper part of ourselves too and and really like have permission to feel all of all of our feelings the whole spectrum yeah oh i love that 
Thank you. That's really good to hear. That's definitely my intention. And at, at some point, I was writing, um, have a statement <laughs> that Jesus Christ is risen today. <laughs> or, you know, like he went, he did, he died, you know, like it, it's a statement. And, um, and I think I, I was writing songs that were personal about me, you know, just as a singer songwriter for sure. But then the, the songs that I was thinking of more universally as social justice songs, I think were kind of preachy a little bit. And that, that has to do with my one streak, I think. <laughs> like I just want things to be right um, and just, and why don't we just stop driving so much? And, and a few years ago, around the same time I just started writing for myself, um, I went back to I statements instead of you statements. Like uh-huh. you should, or you're just implying you should. And I'd say that they're less statements than, you know, just general ideas or thoughts and questions. And that for me has, I think it's a reflection of my own journey. It's a very honest reflection of my own journey. And I find that when I share it, other people do relate to it. And so that's that's where it's at for me right now is, I don't buy into preachiness. In fact, I'm really annoyed by it, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially like the the white savior kind of preachiness. I I am doing a lot of work. I'm doing a lot of inner work, and and a lot of the songs are a part of that, or or just one aspect of something I might be struggling with. So when I write a song, when you hear uh, gently, gently, it's because I need to be more gentle with myself. I write them for myself. So it's almost ironic that like the more specific and personal you get about your lyrics or, or poetry or blogs, the more people can relate to it. Like instead of trying to write general statements about the human race it's like very specific um examples and stories are the things that crack open people's hearts mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's true of you know the blues you know people are writing their heartache and it's true of a lot of a lot of songs you know it can be i first person um but when you listen carefully, a lot of the songs are just resorting to really unhealthy behavior. Like, I lost my baby, I'm gonna go get drunk and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, it's um, it, it's it's just very hard to find music that's very genuine and authentic that also has a healthy response to that pain. And I guess I'm making that music because I, I don't find it. And it's fun to sing all those, you know, country blues, pop songs, <laughs> you know, with the exception of there's like Beyonce and Taylor Swift, like there's some really good, you know, shake it off or, you know, kind of healthier things, but um, it's still, you know, not necessarily my style. So. <laughs> And I guess that goes towards my shift in um, audience too, from performing on a stage to singing in a song circle where I'm inviting everyone to join me. Yeah, wow. So one of the things that is characteristic of force is this kind of attachment to narratives or you know stories about myself and so i'm wondering like along the way (laughs) when you look look back at your journey like what are some of the stories about yourself that you have now like been willing to let go of um 
this isn't so long ago, Chelsea. I'd say in the last year, I've decided, I just made a decision to choose to let go of the narrative that I'm a victim of uh, a number of things that, um, you know, were not my fault, that were really hard to go through, you know, I was a victim. But to not be victimized and to not see myself as a victim was a choice I made about a year ago. And that was about the same time I decided not to sue my HOA. I, that the piece that I'm looking for um, wouldn't have probably come from a lawsuit. <laughs> I think it would have probably have been more painful. So that is one narrative that has repeated itself. And, and it's not necessarily to say, well, I got to pull myself up. I got to do this. Um, no one else is responsible for me, but me, you know, those are all true, but I didn't feel like choosing to not be a victim meant that I had to push through it. It meant that I, I did need to accept responsibility for, you know, where I was at financially because of this huge loss where, you know, taking care of my kids, all the things that I need to be responsible for, but it wasn't exactly what you were talking about, about embracing beauty. I decided the people that I felt victimized by were hurting individuals and they were trying to put all their pain, you know, trying to just paint me with their pain. <laughs> and, um, and I realized inside I'm fine. I love my life. I have two beautiful children. I have a wonderful family. I I am doing what I love. And I live in a beautiful city with all these lakes and changes of season. And I have wonderful friends. And I could go on and on and on, you know? <laughs> like the singing and the travel that I get to do. Um, even just to, you know, a state park for a day. It's, so beautiful. And I decided um, they aren't going to take away that joy and beauty mm. from my life. And the narrative ended. I went through that stuff, but I'm, I guess I could say I'm a survivor, but I more just feel like I'm Andrea. <laughs> I'm not defined by it anyway. If anything, it's um, helped me wake up wow. to this moment and to all that I have and immensely grateful for. Other narratives, um, music is something that some people have a very innate gift for as far as being able to hear and play by ear. And my training and my experience with music was learning how to read music. And it, in high school, I started writing for on piano and guitar. And But I've always felt this inadequacy and sense of shame around not being able to play by ear very well. I can kind of fake it for a while. <laughs> I had an experience a couple of years ago um, working with a gospel choir and um, their pianist and um, got some gospel piano lessons and really started to get into the gospel style and realized, oh, I can do this. I just didn't have any reason to learn it. No one taught me any of this. I didn't grow up around it. And also I have other strengths, right? So that narrative has that I'm inadequate as a musician and I feel like an imposter working full-time as a musician um, has made me very fragile in, in musical relationships and partnerships. You know, when anyone's just the slight, you know, slightly critical, I would feel like, oh, they're going to find out. <laughs> like I'm not a real musician because I can't play by ear. I can kind of improvise kind of and 
um, I would take criticism pretty hard from somebody who um, does have that gift or, you know, has more experience than I do. And I would also, I know that envy is a part of um, the challenge that fours in general have, but it's for sure been a struggle for me to let go of that wanting to be like other musicians and embracing the gifts I have. And in the last few years, I've really come to a place of peace about that and, and, and feeling pride over what I do, uh, pride about what I do and celebrate what other people are capable of and celebrate that some people are always going to play circles around me and, <laughs> and they're amazing. <laughs> and I have other things that I do that I'm happy about. Yes. So I want to return a little bit to this first piece you were, you were talking about the narrative of letting go of just like the, the pain and allowing that to convert into, well, the victimhood and allowing that to convert into um, like strengths or development or gratitude. Mm -hmm. And this is really um, like some of the words that get used around type four with this, I think are really helpful. Like the word redemption gets used mm. and, mm. and the word self-renewing. And I think the redemption is really this like um, converting pain into mm -hmm. growth and development. It's almost like um, going through an alchemic process. Right. That's the word I was thinking of, yeah. yeah. So I know in the last, I don't know, three years or I don't know exactly the timeline, but you've been through so many changes and transitions and difficult things. And, um, and I just feel like this, like I've been watching the redemption unfold before my eyes as I, as I watch you go through it and like letting go of this, this victimhood piece and, and just mm -hmm. taking it all in stride and rolling with the punches. And it, it's been really inspiring but i mean i'm i'm i would like to invite you to share any of that journey without without pressuring you to share things you don't want to share mm -hmm. <laughs> but but to perhaps name some of the things that that have happened or um kind of spurred this this new growth and perspective in the last few years yeah well there's lots of moments um that i can think of so it wasn't like I just rolled out of bed one day and said, aha, I know what to do. I will transmute this pain into joy. <laughs> Henceforth, I shall not be victim. I'll start when I got sick in 2018. Um, July of 2018, I came down with mono, um, a reactive mono that lasted for several months. But the first two months, I was bedridden for the most part. Um, some days I could get to the couch. Some days I could get halfway down the block and really good days I could get all the way down the block and back. But I basically was in bed for two months. And my friend Siri, I'd gone to so many doctors and tried so many things and um, was reading on the internet and you know, fall into a lot of rabbit holes to try all sorts of crazy stuff. And she asked me if I would be open to receiving healing touch from her friend and neighbor who has done, who has practiced on her too. And I said, yeah, but I can't get out of bed. I, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> and she said, no problem. She'll come to you and we'll pay for it. So you don't have to worry about it. And I, I was really worried about money because I wasn't working and et cetera. So she came to our house and I was exhausted. Like I just wanted to fall asleep. But she said, that's fine if you fall asleep. Um, and she couldn't walk around my bed. She could only be on one side. She said, that's fine too. And I just closed my eyes and thought, well, I have no idea what this lady's gonna do. She didn't bring any like equipment or 
it's like her hands um, are gonna just hover over my body and what the hell i'll just take a nap <laughs> and something very powerful happened um about halfway through i opened my eyes and it was very dark in my room but i felt i felt her presence as a light as an actual bright light and and I also had the sense of Siri being there, sending her light through her. And then my friend and tenant upstairs, Alyssa, had been in my house cleaning and I felt like her light was there. And then I think Phil and Lauren had dropped off some food and, and their light was there. And I, I just felt the whole room fill with light. And I realized my body is struggling to heal itself. I'm struggling to feed my kids. I'm struggling to just take a shower, but it's okay because I don't need to generate all of my own energy. I'm getting energy from all these other people. They're sending it to me through her. And it was my first moment of trying to control everything that was happening to me and you know, trying to fix me and surrendering to what was. And it would still be a few weeks before I could wash my own dishes or do my own laundry. And over and over again, I would have to remember like, uh, yeah, I, I need people, I need help. I will make it through this, but I can't. This was the first time in my life where I couldn't just MacGyver my way out of it. <laughs> I really did need other people. And that was beautiful. That was beautiful to be dependent. Huh. I've been codependent before <laughs> often, you know, intimate relationships, that's the pattern. But this was what I learned was it was a gift for those who were giving me the help. And it was a gift for my family to have so many people coming through and helping us. It just brought a lot of healing in itself just to have those people coming through even even in like you know the 10 p.m grocery drop off at the back door and wake up in the morning and <laughs> there's all this um you know costco stuff or whatever they brought there was another moment um that i can tell you about so i had to move out of the duplex because the toxic mold in the duplex was making me more sick um so even after i recovered from the mono i was still very very sick and we moved into another house for six months and that was toxic for other reasons. And I bought the condo and was so excited. Like I finally have my own place again. And this is by Lake Harriet, it's beautiful. And finally I've arrived and 2019 is gonna be great. <laughs> and you're laughing because you know, after, 29, after 2018, I thought, you know, 2019 is gonna be so great. And um, it turns out the condo association had lost hundreds of thousands of dollars to the former management company. And I got a notice that my dues were going up from 400 to 700 a month. And I had this moment where I was crying on the floor and I didn't care. I, I wanted everyone to know and like just getting a letter out of the blue, like, next month this is happening and not having saved money um not having worked for most of the last year it was devastating and that just sob fest ended with this prayer and and i'm not a huge prayer person like i don't sit down and say dear god please you know it was it was just help it was a it was a a prayer that I felt some release during. I said help and I almost immediately felt better. And and something inside me must have remembered like there's a pattern here of you know when I felt like there was no answers, there was no solution, some help came and I thought okay, this will be the same. I don't know how, but this will work out. And I've had to 
I've had to, um, like you said, just kind of roll with the punches, but that's kind of the resiliency tool I have is, you know, I survived that and I survived that, <laughs> you know, and I got out of that horrible living situation. You know, I know how to do what I need to do. And sometimes that doesn't mean it's, I'm completely self-reliant, but I am very resourceful and we'll figure this out too. And, and asking for help is a skill. <laughs> yes, that's when I had to learn. Mm-hmm. I remember you talking about reflecting on all the kind of hardships and transitions you've been through over the last several years. And there was some song, something like, what if these are the best days of your life? No, what was that song? It's a, may I suggest by Susan Werner. May I suggest, may I suggest to you, may I suggest these are, this is the best time of your life. That song came to me while I was sick, while I was laying in bed, unable to move, unable to get outside. And, um, and this was before I had a diagnosis too. The doctors were like, well, you know, your mono, your, you should be better. According to your blood work, it's not mono anymore. <laughs> it's something else. Um, and I was scared, but, um, and I don't think a positive, like, I think there's a, you can go too far with toxic positivity and just look on the bright side. And, um, you know, I would probably punch somebody if they told me that I was laying in bed, (laughs) summoned all my energy. Yeah. Well, could you repaint my bedroom walls then? (laughs) Um, I, but I did have that challenge. And at first I didn't like it. I didn't like, I was like, oh, Susan, you are on a stage and it looks like it's a festival. Yeah, you're having fun. It is the best days of your life. Like, why can you tell this, sing this song to me? And um, I kept listening to it though. And I felt compelled to (laughs) sometimes, sometimes when things challenge me, I'm like, okay, let's, let's visit that again. And it did make me realize like I, I am learning so many beautiful things right now. This could be the best time of my life. And I'm getting lots of snuggles with my kids. I consider that time of sickness. And then a year again, I got sick again for a few months again. Um, I consider both of those experiences like a pivot point for me. Well, Andrea, I feel like I could keep asking you questions and keep talking to you all day. This is so fun. And we are coming close to the end of our time, but I want to end with a poem. And it almost feels like this poem was written by you, even though it wasn't. (laughs) Um, So it's a little bit long, but I'm going to read through it twice. And it's called Yes, But No by Kathleen Solomon. And so the first time we read through it, um, the invitation is just to, you know, kind of understand it conceptually, you know, what is this poem about? And then I'll read it again. And on the second time through, I'll invite both of us to listen with our hearts and just see what line or word or phrase pops out and speaks to you in this moment. Okay. So, so this poem is Yes But No by Kathleen Solomon. You suggest that I say yes to this illness, but I won't keep it. I say yes to this illness, but not that it's mine. It's not my illness. I don't and won't own it. Okay, so I say yes to my illness, but what if that gives it permission to grow. I say yes to dying, but not yet, not yet. I say yes to losing all my dreams. It hurts. You told me there is a freedom of the heart I might experience by saying yes, rather than saying no to all of it. So tight in there. But I don't know how to say yes in my heart. So, I try this. Yes to the mold in the house. Yes to the dying car. Yes to the basement flooding. 
yes to the chaos, yes to the money stress, yes to betrayal, the pain, the bitterness, the ache of loss, yes to friends who moved far away this year, yes to my three living sisters not being part of my life, yes to, to not in this life having a soulmate singer, someone who loves spirit as much as me, someone who I get to love too. Mm. Yes, to the ambiguities never resolved, the uncertainty, yes, to goodbye dance, mountain climbs, work, play, all of that. Yes, to the complications and layers of my life, a tapestry I cannot begin to fathom. Yes, to what I will never understand. I counseled my clients that to heal, we must accept what is right now in the present moment. So much easier to advise than to live it myself. And the spring rains fall, heedless of the 21-year-old boy man who murdered 10 people, heedless of my pain, heedless of all those things, except the running of the waters on the earth, bubbling up and unfurling life with every drop. Yes, to that keen glory, the surprise like a child for the first time feeling mud in toes and undersoles of feet. Yes, to the tapestry of who is this me? So different each time I look at my life when I allow. Yes. So I'll read through it again. And this time we're invited to listen with our hearts and um, kind of as a meditation, just to see what pops out and speaks to you. You suggest that I say yes to this illness, but I won't keep it. I say yes to this illness, but not that it's mine. Not my illness. I don't and won't own it. Okay, so I say yes to my illness, but what if that gives it permission to grow? I say yes to dying, but not yet, not yet. I say yes to losing all my dreams. It hurts. You told me there is a freedom of the heart I might experience by saying yes, rather than saying no to all of it so tight in there. But I don't know how to say yes in my heart. So I try this. Yes to the mold in the house. Yes to the dying car. Yes to the basement flooding. Yes to the chaos. Yes to the money stress. Yes to betrayal, the pain, the bitterness, the ache of loss. Yes to friends who moved far away this year. Yes to my three sisters not being part of my life. Yes to not in this life having a soulmate singer, someone who loves spirit as much as me someone who I get to love too. Yes to the ambiguities never resolved, the uncertainty. Yes to goodbye dance, mountain climbs, work, play, all of that. Yes to the complications and layers of my life, a tapestry I cannot begin to fathom. Yes to what I will never understand. I counseled my clients that to heal, we must accept what is right now in the present moment. So much easier to advise than to live it myself. And the spring rains fall, heedless of the 21-year-old boy man who murdered 10 people, heedless of my pain, heedless of all those things except the running waters on the earth bubbling up and unfurling life with every drop. Yes, to that keen glory, the the surprise like a child for the first time, feeling mud in toes and undersoles of feet. Yes, to the tapestry of who is this me? So different each time I look at my life when I allow. Yes. Mm. I noticed the first time you read all the yes statements, yes to the moldy house, yes to the car breaking down I was feeling that loss 
Mm. And um, you know, yes to the loss of dreams, it hurts. And my heart said, it does hurt, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, I know her pain so well. And the second time I was feeling peace when you read all those statements, like, yes, yes, it is, um, it is. Yeah, I just love this poem. And I, I like, I mean, it's all wonderful, but the, for some reason this time, the line that stood out to me was yes to what I will never understand. Mm -hmm. Just for me, you know, I have a tendency to want to figure things out and like discover a deeper meaning to everything and make it make sense. And sometimes that's just not possible. Mm -hmm. So to like just be in the questions and in the, the confusion and the pain and, and not try to figure it out is like, it feels like a relief to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exhausting. I think we talked about this yesterday a little bit, but I, I think I've put pressure on myself to be an expert in everything um, concerning being a human in 2021 <laughs> and a responsible one at that and parents and all the things that we are responsible for as people on this planet. And on top of that, I've put a lot of pressure on myself to do, to do to make an impact, to have a life that I can reflect on and say, well done, you know, we set out to do, you accomplished, well done. <laughs> and, and so then there's a lot of work to explain to myself, well, you know, it was tax season, so I didn't have time to write music and then, and then it was the end of the year events and then it was summer camping and then you know and then i had and then i was lost my job and then i had to look for a new job and then you know blah blah, blah. um so i'm always um in this like inner dialogue with myself who's constantly shaming <laughs> me for not doing everything that i maybe I don't even know if it's my own sometimes my own pressure or if it's outside pressure, but um, it is such a relief to let go of that need and to explain to myself why I'm not where I should ideally be. <laughs> and also to loosen the pressure to um, explain to myself why things in the world are the way they are or how to fix it, you know? Well, we are out of time. So thank you so much. This has been really wonderful. We're out of time for now. For now. Later. <laughs> this was fun, Chelsea. Yeah. This is really provocative for me too. I really enjoyed listening to, you know, you talk about, me, that's always fun. <laughs> My favorite topic. <laughs> I've, I've found that this is one of the favorite ways to embarrass William, just mm -hmm. in general in our house, is just to let him know how much I think of myself. Um, <laughs> like yesterday, I was like, wow, I look so good today. I'm having a really good hair day and um, I don't know what I did, but my skin looks really good today. And, you know, he's like, oh, man. I'm just kind of laughing at my own vanity at this point, but I'm not going to try to hide it. Yeah. <laughs> it's still there. It's always going to be there. Yes. yes to the vanity. Yes to the vanity. <laughs> I hate that I care so much, but I do. Because <laughs> I'm special. <laughs> I want everyone to know I'm special. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for indulging me. Absolutely. All of you,
big shout out to singer-songwriter Lynn O'Brien, who provided our theme music for this podcast. You can find her music and coaching work online at lynnobrien.love. For more on my work, including Enneagram courses, coaching, Enneagram art, and spiritual direction, visit chelseaforbrook.com. Please share this podcast with your friends, and I look forward to having you join us next week for our next epic journey. Until then, may the deep peace of presence be with you.